We are going to be in the book of Joshua, beginning at 1. Folks at home, you may have to rely on the Bibles you have at home, where we may uh, or may not be able to have them up on the screen for you. But we'll be covering some verses of Scripture from Joshua 1 through Joshua 10. If you are on the email list, I sent you the outline, and you can use that for the references that will be coming up. But just as a quick review, as we're looking at the armor of God and how people used it in the battles they faced, the whole armor of God, we wanted to, to see people who used not just one or two pieces, but how the whole armor was used. Our first one we're going to take a look at here is Joshua. But just in review, the belt of truth draws a battle line and brings attention to us and the difference between truth and deception while keeps other pieces of armor in place or basically keeps them effective. The enemy does try to corrupt the truth that we hear or reject the truth that we have and keep us from growing in more. This is why some churches teach little or weak word and ministers entertain instead of teach Believers reject strong stands and opt for toleration and conformity. No battles means no victories. The breastplate of righteousness assures us of our right standing with the Father and our qualifications to be using the spiritual weapons to victory. Now the enemy will look to pull us into condemnation, self-righteousness, unforgiveness, and shake us from our stand of authority and position that we are over his head. The shoes of preparation of the gospel of peace, being prepared and ready to take the light of the gospel of God's word into the camps of the kingdom of darkness. The enemy tells us that we are not ready to proclaim or defend the gospel and unprepared for the world's questions, so we don't go into all the world. The shield of faith, our line of defense against the enemy's thoughts, worries, and fears. The enemy attempts to get us to think on fears and worries instead of the thoughts of God's promises and assurances in His Word, thereby neutralizing the shield. The helmet of salvation is our identification in the army of God to friend and foe and possibly our place in it. Now, those ones I've given you in earlier outlines, and so I just read them off to you. But here, uh, I think I left this one in your outline for you. The one we recently did. The sword of the Spirit is a word spoken or a revelation given to provide light in direction in our role, calling, task, or assignment for the kingdom, or perhaps even in our own personal battles. Good example of this in the Old Testament, as far as seeing a word spoken in both a assignment and a personal battle, would be Saul, and this is spoken by the prophet Samuel, First Samuel 9 and 15. Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. Now of course it was just uh, a casual thought they had when they were looking for the animals that his father had lost. And the servant said, hey, there's a seer near here. Let's go over there. So it just seemed to be an afterthought. But God said, I sent him. So sometimes you get those thoughts about where you need to go, places you need to to head over to, you think it's just a fleeting thought that came to you. It may be the direction of God. Continues to say, For I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people, 
Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me where is the seer's house? Samuel answered and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place and you shall eat with me today and tomorrow I will let you go. I will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys, they were lost three days ago. Do not be anxious about them for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? So in the word that he speaks to Samuel, it is not just about the calling. There's a little bit in this first word. Later on he gets more in it. It also tells him about things he was facing in his own personal life. Verse 21, And Saul answered and said, I am, not, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, my family the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? Now Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall, had them sit in a place of honor among those who were invited. There were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So Samuel had this all planned out. He knew God said he's coming. He believed that he was coming and made preparation for it. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, Here it is, what was kept back. It was set apart for you. Let them know, I knew you were coming. God told me you were coming. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they had come down from the high place into the city, Samuel spoke to Saul in the top of the house. They rose early. It was about the dawning of the day that Samuel called to Saul to the top of the house, saying, Get up, that I may send you on your way. And Saul arose, and both of them went outside, he and Samuel, and they were going down to the outskirts of the city. Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us, and he went on. But you stand here a while, and I may that I may announce to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, and kissed him, and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? When you have departed from me today, you will find two men from Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, the donkeys which you have, which you went to look for have been found, and now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there, come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There are three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will receive from their hands. After that you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is and it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument of tambourine and a flute and a harp before them and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs come to you that you do as as the occasion demands for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal and surely I will come down to you offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So this is the word that was spoken to him about the ministry and about the things that were going on, but God also included in it something that was going on in his personal life. So sometimes a sword, it seems, can be spoken to you about something that you are facing personally, or at least a word or a revelation given for something that you're facing personally. But tonight we're going to take a look at, at Joshua. And how the armor of God was involved in what he was doing for the Lord. So in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, 
Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that your soul, your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor forsake you. Be strong and a good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall... Meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage, and do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now this is one of the longest words given as a sword that we can find on the Word of God. There's a lot of repetition. We could really break this down and have some fun with it, but that's not really our purpose here. We want you to see how the sword... And the helmet here in chapters 1 through 6 are very much at work in uh, the battle that he is facing. So he's been given a sword and he's been given the helmet. Now the word of God says, and Paul puts it, receive the sword of the spirit, the, the spirit, receive the sword of the spirit, receive the helmet of salvation. These are assignments. This is an assignment that you're given from God. He's given an assignment. Moses is dead. So you're taking up his mantle now. And you need to go in his place. And Moses had already told him that, so he already knew this was going on. God's confirming it with him. But these words will help him to stand in the attacks that will be coming against him and Israel. Verse 16. So they answered Joshua saying, All that you command us we will do, and whatever you, wherever you send us we will go, just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and does not heed your words and all that you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and of good courage. So Israel submits to completely obeying the word that God spoke to Joshua, that Joshua spoke to them. This, as far as they are concerned, is a belt. This is the truth that they have to live up to. This is the truth that God had spoken to them. Now, in Joshua chapter 2, the spies are sent into the land. We're not going to read Joshua chapter 2. You can read this on your own later on if you want to. But in Joshua chapter 2, the spies were given commands by Joshua on what to do. And so they went on into comb out the land, and he said especially uh, Jericho. That wasn't the only place they were supposed to go. It is where they seem to have ended up, but they had gone to other places before that, looked over the land, and were bringing back the report, but there was just two of them. Now, they had to hang on to a lot of the words that Joshua had in his word because there was a lot of places where they could have been in fear. They were given the assignment to go and to spy out the land, and as they're going, people may have uh, spotted them. What are you doing here? We don't recognize you. When they were in Jericho itself, they were coming after them, trying to find them, knocking on the door. There could have been some fear in there. They, uh, the, they had to hang on to that word that was given. 
they had to hang on to the truth and only do what was told to them to do, which they did. In Joshua chapter 3, we have that they obeyed in the crossing over of Jordan. And they're given some things to do in the crossing over Jordan that are different from the crossing of the Red Sea. crossing of the Red Sea was already divided for them. The wind came and blew and dried it all up. And they came down and here it was, all, all separated for them. All they had to do was walk across. Here, that's not the way it was. They had to actually step into the water. And when they stepped into the water, then the waters would begin to separate. And so they actually began to, to watch this go on. Now, many of the people that are here... In fact, most of them were too young or not born at all and would not remember the Red Sea crossing. So this is a new thing. They heard about how the God had brought them through the Red Sea, but now they're going to see it here at the Jordan. And they're told to pull out some memorial stones in Joshua chapter 4, and they're very uh, conscientious to make sure that they do that. And they pull out the memorial stones and they set it up because these are the things we're going to do when people walk by and they say, why are these stones here? Well, they came from the middle of the river. We brought them out with us. And so they have some uh, evidence. They have a memorial. They have a way to teach the people that were to come. And they had done this. In Joshua chapter 5, it is a, uh, a very unusual chapter. And God asked them to do a very unusual thing. And here, they were coming across into the, into the promised land, crossed over the Jordan. And when they get there, apparently no one in the wilderness had been circumcised. So they were circumcised when they came out of Egypt. But as they were walking through the wilderness, that was not something that they continued to do. So God says, everyone, every male needs to be circumcised. And so you come into the enemy's territory. There's no longer a river protecting you and them. You are vulnerable as far as that is concerned. And God says, now I want you to become circumcised. And if you remember... In the Bible, there was a group of people, they said, well, if you can, you can marry into our group as long as you get circumcised. And when they did, the uh, uh, two, uh, Simeon and Levi, they went out there and they killed all the males as they were uh, laying there. So the, it's pretty much, you're incapacitated. They know they're not going to be able to defend themselves too well. They have to trust God. So God puts them immediately in a position where they have to trust and that, that obedience is there. And that's a hard thing to do. But God spoke this to them. God had uh, given this to them. You hear, you can see the belt of truth in at, at operation. Well, this is what God spoke to us to do. This is what God said to, for us to do. This is what God has commanded us to do. Part of the, the helmet of salvation is marking you as being the army of God. Circumcision was one of those things they did to mark them as being God's people. And so this is very much along the same thing. God says, this is what I want you to do now. So in Joshua chapter 5, they are obedient in circumcision and they go ahead and do it. We don't hear of any complaints. We don't hear of anybody rebelling against this. They just go out there and do it. And in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, we're going to read that one. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, they lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or our adversaries? And he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. And he said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. And in the verses after that, we have the instructions given on how they are to attack Jericho. 
and what they are to do in their very unusual battle plan of walking around the city and being silent, walking around the city one time each day and on the seventh day walking around it seven times and then to shout and make all the noise and the walls would fall and you all know the story of how Jericho falls. And so they do this. They mark themselves as part of the army of God right in the presence of the enemy and they take the word of God, the sword of the spirit that was given to Joshua and they utilize it. They hang on to it. They take the truth that God had spoke to them and they don't alter it. They stay with it. In Joshua chapter 7 and chapter 8, we're going to see the belt and the breastplate emphasized. But the children of Israel, verse 1, committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside beth Aven on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about thirty-six men, for they chased them from the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. And Joshua tore his clothes, fell on his face, fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? To destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. Then what will we do for your great name? Now here you can see that Joshua is kind of waning a little bit on that sword that he was given. He's kind of faltering from some of the things that were there. And he's uh, mimicking some of the words that are going on in the wilderness. Oh, that we have been content to stay in, in Egypt. Oh, that we have been content to stay in the wilderness. It was better than this. So they drifted from the truth and it affected their righteous standing here because God had spoken a word to them and he said, do not take any of the stuff. Well, they did. In verse 10, so the Lord said to Joshua, get up, why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned and they have tra also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them for they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived and they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies but turned their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow because thus says the Lord of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel, and you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Now it also would seem that Joshua did not engage in prayer the way that he should. He engaged in a prayer, but as Paul said, all prayer, as far as the spiritual armor was concerned, he did not engage a prayer to seek after God what 
shall we do? They didn't engage in prayer to seek after God. How shall we go against Ai? They came up with their own plan on that one. God had given them a plan for Jericho. They came up with their own plan for Ai. If they had sought God on this, if they had gone into prayer, God would have said, you're not ready to go into battle yet. We need to take care of some things. And they would have avoided all that. They had not done that. Once they had gone into battle and they, they lost, thoughts were coming to them. They became fearful. That's where their shield of faith was not engaged the way that it should have been. Some of those thoughts were getting in. And it was having a, a, a negative effect on them. But their standing before God had been shaken because they had taken of the accursed things and because they had disobeyed what God had said to do. So if you go on with the rest of that, they go through the selection process, how they find out who it was that had uh, taken of the accursed thing. And uh, they came on down and Achan confessed and they took care of that matter. And then in chapter 8, verse 30, we are given a new strategy. And what seems to be unusual here is uh, it's a very small city still and they have far more people than are needed to just in the natural take care of this. But God is going to have them employ a strategy that would seem to be beneath them. If they're going to bring the whole army out, why do we have to uh, do this strategy? Let's just go in there and knock them down now that we're, we're right before God and no one else did anything wrong. It was just Achan. But it seems that God is saying, will you obey what seems unnecessary? I wonder that about us sometimes. If we face a spiritual battle and God says to do some things, will we obey and do what seems to be unnecessary? If we feel something coming up in our spirit, well, I don't really see why that's, that's necessary. I don't see why I ought to have to do that. Are you willing to retreat, basically, when you would prefer to attack? And that's what God is having them to do. In verse 30, now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God Visual on Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. So he had taken these stones and he actually wrote in the stones, that took some time, a copy of the law of Moses. How much of that law? I'm sure he put all the books in there, but maybe he just took the same law that was on the uh, stone tablets that Moses had. But they had just come through. They defeated Ai. Uh, if, you, if you remember the strategy on that, God had said, um, go in there with the people, but then act like you're being defeated and pull back, and that'll cause the men to all leave the city. And then the people were in ambush, and they came in behind, and they burned it. And then the people turned around and they, they went. Now, yeah, they could be thinking, oh, we're, we don't need that kind of a strategy. That's way too much strategy that we need for these little people. But they did it. And then what Joshua does afterwards, because they just faltered. They had just faltered on some things that God had said. And so what he does is he goes with the people and he reads it all. In verse 33, that all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests and Levites who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord. The stranger as well as he who was born among them, half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, 
the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. So he read over all the law. You're all going to hear it again. This is what we said we're going to do. Let's go over it again. Make sure we understand it. Make sure we know it. We got to make sure we have that belt on tight. We got to make sure that that breastplate is in place. We can't, we have to have our standing right before God. Because even if we overmatch an enemy, we will lose if we are not standing right before the Lord. In chapter 9, in Joshua chapter 9, verse 1, we see two other things that are uh, emphasized. And that is that word against that we saw in the word pros and the word uh, or in the uh, in prayer. Let's take a look at this. Verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan in the hills and in the lowland and all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, amazing that Ai was in effect because Ai was really a small little city, very insignificant. But because they saw what had been done, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors and they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wine skins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves and all the bread of their provisions was dry and moldy. They went to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? So it seems like the people here, Joshua and the people, they are suspicious. They are they are not just taking about the word. They are thinking, hey, you could be from among our land here. So those, those suspicions came up. Something was coming up in their spirit, but they dismissed it. Maybe they felt pressure into making a decision. Now, I'm not really sure why. Uh, be careful if anybody's trying to make you press, be pressured into a, a decision. You don't want to do that. God doesn't pressure you into making a decision, but He will show you things to come. Maybe they felt pressure. Regardless, they did not take it to prayer. If they had taken it to prayer, God surely would have exposed the scheme. If they would have just gone to God in prayer, God would have said, Hey, they're deceiving you. They're from here. Now, what would have done to God's reputation if they had taken it to prayer, God exposed their scheme, <laughs> and then they say, No, uh, our God says that you're from within the land. Boy, that would have really put some... Something on the God's reputation. But they didn't do it. But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him, From a very far country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who are beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. Now, they do not speak of events that actually caused them to come. The ones that actually caused them to come are the events at Jericho and the events at Ai. That's what really caused them to come. Probably even the crossing of the Jordan. But they don't mention these. They mention the ones that were back in Egypt. They mention the ones that were over in the wilderness. Because if they were from a far country, they could have heard of these and come. If they mention these things that are recent, 
then that would have immediately exposed them as being frauds. So they don't bring that, that, that up. Therefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants now, therefore make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provisions from our houses on the day we departed to come to you, but now look, it is dry and moldy, and these wineskins which we filled were new. See, they are torn. And these are garments, and our sandals have become old because of the very long journey. So these folks are operating deceit. They pretend to be who they are not. And they speak of events, as we said, in the wilderness, not in Canaan. And they point to their props. They brought these props along and they point to them as proof. Now this is what Paul was pointing out to when he uses the word prosp in the book of Ephesians. You are looking for people that are close to you. You're looking to people that pretend to be close to you. You're looking for people who make uh, false claims. This is what he is saying. That when we come against principalities and powers, they are going to come to you in the form of people. People who are pretending to be your friends. People who are pretending to be close to you. These folks are pretenders. They are not their friends. They are only out for selfish gain to preserve their lives. They are not trying to do anything good for Israel at all. They are only trying to do something that is very selfish but they're coming to them like they are friends. That is that word pros that we talked about uh, a number of weeks back. Verse 14, Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. There is where prayer is very specifically mentioned as not being in there. They did not go to God in prayer and ask Him about these things. Now we today have the Spirit of God on the inside of us and can depend on the Spirit of God on the inside of us coming up as a witness, yes or no, give us a warning. They didn't necessarily have that there, but they all could very easily just go to God in prayer and have gotten an answer. We've seen many times when they've done this already. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them and it happened at the end of three days, just three days, after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Then the children of Israel journeyed and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Chephirath, Berath, Kirjith, Jerem. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore, we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest... Wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. And the ruler said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised. Well, they said, We will be your servants. And that's what they were made into. Now, the leaders know that because of the oath they have made, they are bound under God's law despite the deception. we got to be careful. We, we are under God's law. Even though people may deceive you, if you do something, make a promise, put your word on it, you are bound to things even when people deceive you. That's why you don't just jump into something. You go before God and say, God, should we do this? Should I go after this thing? It seems very clear that if prayer had been involved, this deception would have been exposed. In Joshua chapter 10, verse 1, Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, 
king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai. And all its men were mighty. Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Now you may say, Why should the people of God have to defend those who are deceivers and people of darkness? Well, because we are of the light, they are not. And we walk by a higher order than they do. And so they held to their word. We have to remember that children of God cannot live like children of the devil. Children of light cannot live like children of darkness. We have to make sure that we are different and that we walk differently. So these people, even though they had deceived them, asked them to come help. And they were a powerful group themselves, but they did apparently nothing to defend themselves. And Joshua is the one who comes over to, to do this. Verse 7. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Not a man of them. You're going to wipe them all out. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the roads that goes to Beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Those were some kind of hailstones. If they had a news media like ours, they'd be talking about global climate change. That kind of a, of a weather thing, but it's not. God just sent the judgment down upon them. Now God brings another word here as they faced the largest army that Joshua had seen up to this time. And he told them, now I'm going to deliver them into your hand. And in the verses to come, they had not accomplished what God had said yet. God said you were going to wipe them all out. They had not accomplished this. They had wiped out a good bit. God had sent hailstones and that wiped out a lot more, but they were not all gone. And so this is where Joshua makes that prayer. Don't let the sun go down. And the sun does not go down. He says that prayer because they had not accomplished yet what God had said. It was for no fault of their own. They marched all night from the time that they got the word. They marched all night and came to that army and engaged them right away. It's not like they were sitting back and and not doing anything. They marched all night so they could start off in the morning. They had been fighting all day. The hailstones came. And they killed a bunch of them, but there still were people left. And the word that God said is, you are going to wipe them all out. So he comes to God and he says, we haven't wiped them all out yet. 
Don't let the sun go down. If the sun goes down, they get dark. They get to be hiding in places. We don't want them hiding in places. I want to fulfill the word that you spoke and wipe them all out. So that's what he prayed. That's one of the reasons why God came through in that because God had spoken this word and Joshua was, was using that as a sword to come against the enemy. Joshua continued to encourage the people in the word that God spoke and to hold to it himself. In uh, Joshua 10.25, Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. He keeps speaking the word that he got from God. He keeps speaking it to them. He's also probably speaking it to himself. Now, if you went on through, we're not going to read it. We've already read through quite a few scriptures. If you went through the rest of this chapter, you will find that there are going to be places listed that were conquered as Makeda, Libna, Lachish, Horam, king of Gezer, Eglon, Hebron, and Debir. These armies came out against them. They defeated them on the ar- at the army place, but then they went back to their cities where the, these armies came from and other cities in the area. They went back to their cities. And something like what is in verse 30 is said of each one of these. I'm going to read Joshua 10.30. He struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it, but did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. And it says this for each of these cities that is listed here. For the for Mechida, for Libna, for Lachish, for Horam, king of Gezer, for Eglon, for Hebron, for Debir. Each one of them, he struck it with the sword. He killed the king. And all the people that were in it, the goods of the city, they kept for themselves because God said you can do that. But the people, they utterly destroyed every single one of them, it said. Then it sums it up here in Joshua 10:41, And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings and their lands Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at, Gig, at Gilgal. He took the whole... This is the southern campaign. The southern area is what this is listed at. Now later on, in the, for the next chapter, chapter 11, he's going to go through the northern parts, the northern conquest. This is cha- all what chapter 11 is about. I'm going to read verses 14 and 15 for you. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the children of Israel took as booty for themselves and they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them and left none breathing. As the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua and so Joshua did. So God told Moses, Moses told Joshua and Joshua did it. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. He left nothing undone. He did it all. He took the belt of truth. He took the words that were spoken to him by God. He took the words that were spoken to him by Moses. He held on to them. He did not let them go. We saw a little bit of faltering. He tightened that belt back up. He got out there and he did this. He left nothing alive that breathed. Just the animals that they had for the livestock. That was all. Now it seemed it seems that in spiritual battles, one or two of the pieces are the focal point of the attack. As we went through some of these chapters, you'll see that one or two of the pieces of the spiritual armor 
comes under attack in each one of these spiritual battles. It doesn't seem that it comes against all of them. In the beginning, we, we looked at the, the sword. We looked at how the sword could sometimes come under attack. What the words that God had spoken. Sometimes the helmet could come under attack. Sometimes it's the shield of faith that can come under attack. Sometimes, there's different ones that come in. But it seems like it focuses on one or possibly even two at a time. That you don't have the full attack on all the pieces. And so in your own life, you have to understand that I have to make sure that I take up the whole armor of God and that I have the entire armor of God ready. Because when the enemy comes, he may take a look at you and say, I'm going to focus my attack over on here. I'm going to see if I can pull you from the truth of God's word. I'm going to see if I can get you to compromise what you know God said. You know God said, thou shalt not do that. Don't go in this area. Don't go in this direction. Don't do things like the world does. But I'm going to see if I can get you to do it. I'm going to see if I can pull you from that belt of truth. I'm going to see if I can pull you from that breastplate of righteousness and get you into the area of unforgiveness. And so all he has to do is get a seam. All he has to do is get one part of the armor to falter and he has a way in. So I have a couple of examples here for you. And um, I'm going to give you three examples here. You can write them down if you want to. I didn't put any of this in your, in your outline for you. But three examples of where the enemy came and he breached one area and eventually knocked out all the armor that they had. If a breach can be made in one, one part of the armor of God, damage did result. But if there were multiple breaches, it had a very cost, very high cost that came. First one was Jeroboam. Jeroboam, the breach that the enemy made for Jeroboam was in the sword that was given him. God spoke to him and said, Jeroboam, if you will follow me, if you will do as David did, if you will follow me just like David did, I will make of your house an enduring house just like I made David's house an enduring house. And as soon as he takes the throne, the enemy comes against that word, comes against that sword that he had. And he says, you know what? People are not going to tolerate you for long. If they have to keep going down to Jerusalem and sacrificing the temple, they're eventually going to go back to the house of David. And he believed it. And so he felt like he had to take action against it. So there was a breach in the sword that was given to him. It turned into the breach into the belt of truth because true worship left the northern tribes. And they began to worship the golden calves. They began to make priests of every person. They began to do their own feast days. They changed everything. And so the belt of truth was compromised after the breach in the sword that was given to him. The breastplate of righteousness fell because now they no, no longer had a right standing before God and judgment was uh, constantly prophesied to these people. If you don't get this right, judgment is coming because their breastplate of righteousness had been pulled down. The shield of faith was gone because the thoughts that the enemy throws against them, well, they just have all these fearful thoughts, all these worrisome thoughts. The helmet of salvation is gone because they were supposed to be a place in the king. Jeroboam had his own place in the kingdom and he for forwent it. The children of Israel were supposed to be on the side of God. They were supposed to do things distinctive from the world and they became like the world around them. They gave up that helmet of salvation. And of course, prayer as a temple uh, 
and the way of worship was corrupted, well, prayer is perverted. Prayer is gone. Why in the world are you praying to God? You're praying to golden calves now. And so that's even gone. And the, even the shoes of preparation. Now, we know they weren't preaching the gospel of peace that they were in the New Testament, but there was um, there was no preparation to go and to preach whatever the gospel was, whatever the kingdom message was for them, because they were no longer in it. They're no longer ambassadors of it, so they wouldn't do it. Now, but Joshua, when he was going through the land, we didn't talk about the shoes of peace, because I don't think he really had the shoes of peace going, because Joshua was not on a mission to try and make converts out of the Canaanite people. He was to wipe them out. And so that purpose wasn't there. So he goes in and he does exactly what he was supposed to do. He wipes out the people. He wiped out more of the giants than probably anybody else is responsible for. And that's in some of the verses that we skipped over. Uh, Saul, he's another one. He allowed the sword that was given to him to be compromised. He, he was, God gave him a word. God spoke to him about being the, the commander. He had given him a word about how things were going to unfold about the seven days. And he didn't, he didn't buy into it quite to the degree that he should. That turned into a breach of the belt of truth. He even tried to murder David and then his son during the feast. Well, that's certainly going against the truth of God's word. The breastplate was gone because his right standing before God was, was gone. His, his area of forgiveness had been compromised. His areas of repentance before God was compromised, so his breastplate was gone. His shield was gone. He had those distressing thoughts that kept coming against him. And prayer was so far removed from him that he consulted a medium in his last days. Now his shoes, instead of being on a mission to promote the things of God, his shoes were to promote the kingdom of Saul. And he walked around the, the uh, nation of Israel chasing after David to preserve his own kingdom, not to do anything for the kingdom of God. One more from the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira. We saw that they had a breach in the shield of faith. These thoughts led to, to these thoughts that came in. You know what? If we just do the same thing, if we just sell the, this property and give half the money or a quarter of the money or a third of the money or whatever part they decided to give and hold back some and we just present it like we're doing the whole thing, well, you know what? We'll get the same kind of acclamation that, that uh, Barnabas is getting. So let's go ahead and do that. They had a breach in their shield. This, these are thoughts that should not have been allowed to stay with them. Their shield should have put these things out. It led to one, uh, led to their belt of truth being disrupted. They thought they could lie to the Holy Spirit and put down their helmet. They put down their place and their purpose in the army of God all for the glory that would come because they gave this money. They put on, they put down their their helmet to take on their own purpose. And that purpose was one that was given to them by Satan. God had given them some kind of a purpose in life. We're not told what it was, but they were given some kind of a purpose in the kingdom, some kind of a purpose that they were supposed to be doing. And they laid that down to take up a purpose that Satan had given them, which was, you need to get more honor. You need to become more recognized. And they had taken on that purpose and laid down the helmet that they had. And their breastplate was at least loosened. It may have even been gone. We don't know. We get to heaven. We find out they're still there. Then we'll know that it wasn't completely gone. But we know that it was at least loosened. That their stand before God was, was certainly shaken as they dropped dead before Him. So these are some of the examples. 
that we can look at, J- Joshua being the one we spent the most time with, you can see how the enemy could come and affect those things, even in the Old Testament. Paul is teaching something in the New Testament here, but this is not just New Testament teaching. You will see these same principles in the Old Testament. Paul just recognized them because Paul knew his Old Testament. He saw those same principles at work and God taught him some things from them as far as the uh, uh, Roman armor was concerned. And he was relating those things to us. But now that we see them, now that we can recognize them, we can go back in the Old Testament and we can look at the places where these things were going on. In the same way, we have to make sure that we watch out for ourselves because the enemy is looking for where can we make a breach? Where can we, we, can we attack you in your thoughts? Is your shield of faith down? Can we attack you in the area of unforgiveness? Can we get you to, to not forgive other people? Can we get you into a place of judgment on other people and pull that breastplate of righteousness down? Can we get you to accept an assignment from the pit of hell? Thinking that it's an assignment from God. Thinking it's something that you're due. Just like Ananias and Sapphira did. They saw something. Well, we ought to be getting as much honor as Barnabas. How can we get that? And so he gave them a way to, to be able to accomplish it and satisfy something in their flesh. And you can still keep some of the money. But people will still think there's great things about you. And they took on a different assignment. Don't take on a different assignment. Don't let unforgiveness and bitterness get into you and, and undermine you. The enemy is looking for ways to get the spiritual armor that God has given you to be taken off. He's looking for ways for that to be shaken. You've got to take up the whole armor of God. You don't know where the attack of the enemy is coming. But wherever it is, the armor of God will stop him. Don't shake it. Don't take the helmet off. Don't be afraid to be identified as one from the army of God. Don't be looking at the role that you have that God has given you. Well, this is not sufficient for me. I need to be taking a different role. Stay with the things that God has asked you to do. Because if you stay with the things that God has asked you to do, God will begin to ask more things of you and put more things upon you. Just because I think I'm faithful in what I'm doing for God doesn't mean that God thinks I'm faithful in what I'm doing for God. I've got to make sure I'm getting it from Him. And always make sure you take these things to prayer. Joshua got into trouble when they didn't take things into prayer. Got into trouble in the AI because they didn't take it to prayer first to find out what should we do in this battle. When he made the covenant, he didn't take it to prayer and say, should we make this covenant? And they got into trouble. The enemy is looking for ways to get in. And if you do the things that God has shown you in the in the armor of God, he won't be able to. So Father, we thank you that you have protected us against all the attacks of the enemy. No matter what he tries to do against us, you are there to protect us and defend us. And that armor is there to keep us intact. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.